I want to thank today's sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so you can have it be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, plus many more. You can make money from your podcast with absolutely no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm super excited to have my very first international cross-the-world guest in Shane Toomey. Shane, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Shane, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, for sure. Uh, my name is Shane. I'm originally from the southwest suburbs of Chicago, but for the last like almost two years, I've been living on a small island in Japan. And uh, I'm out here teaching English, well, like helping teach English. And uh, I also make custom clothes under the brand name Infamous. And that's basically who I am, what I do. Very cool, man. Very cool. Obviously, it is quite a journey from southwest suburbs of Chicago to Japan. Tell me about how you ended up all the way out there teaching English and starting a clothing brand. Uh, well, I kind of... Ever since college started, I've been gradually moving further and further from my home. <laughs> yeah. So my first like jump was actually going to college. And uh, I I went to the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. You're, are you from Minnesota? No, I'm from New Jersey. Oh, damn. Yeah, I, it seemed like you know so many Minnesota people. <laughs> I just happen to be very well rooted in the Midwest with when it comes to friends. <laughs> Gosh, you. Well, dude, Minnesota people are great. The Midwest, I think it's the coldness. It just like somehow makes people nice. Like it sucks so much in the Midwest that people just kind of have to be nice to each other. I think so, like one thing less sucks. I, I think you're completely correct. Yeah. But, but anyways, I, um, I went to, I wanted to go to art school and I wanted to go somewhere. Like I was looking at schools in Chicago but I didn't really think I'd get like the full experience because I'd still be like living at home and commuting. I'd probably keep my same friend group and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to like, I wanted to start again anew. And uh, I ended up, I ended up applying to MCAD just because there was a poster in my art room and I was like, Oh, that seems fine. And then they were the ones that gave me the most money. So I ended up going there. And uh, it was also like, it's like a, well, like a 400 mile distance. It's like a seven hour drive. Mm -hmm. So it was, far enough where i had to like pick up my life again by mm. myself sure but close enough to where like i could get home in a day if i need to yeah. you know I, I did the exact so, same thing actually 
We're from like originally from New Jersey. Yeah, I'm, so I'm from New Jersey. I still live here, but uh, when I went to college, I went to WVU, West Virginia University, uh, and it was mm. about 375 miles, perfect like six hour and change drive, and uh, it, it felt like very similarly a, a nice distance away, and also close enough that if you know, God forbid, anything happened, I could be home, you know, in, in, a, in yeah. a short period of time. How did you feel about like about like culture shock? Like, did you did you feel like West Virginia had like a completely different culture? Yeah, uh, yeah yes and no. Um, f- first of all, the people out there were super nice, um, which shouldn't come as much of a surprise. Um, and then, secondly, weirdly, like my freshman year, two of my th- like three other roommates were from New Jersey, and then two people across the hallway were also from New Jersey, and there was just a gotcha. huge number of people from New Jersey who ended up going there. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it's yes and no. <laughs> yeah. You had your own little click out there. Yeah. But like, I feel like when, when you're moving within like the same kind of region, it's like, there's, there's a lot of similarities, but then I think each city, like each place kind of has its own little flavor too. Mm-hmm. Cause like Minneapolis and Chicago are, are very different in a lot of ways, but it's like, it's still the Midwest, you right. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, but then I I did one semester, not abroad, but like I went to a different art school in the U.S. and I I lived in L.A. for like four or five months. Oh, nice! And uh, that was really cool, but that was really different. Like that was a big change. Living in the West Coast was <laughs> yeah a, a a big change for me. Um, I mean, growing up so close to Chicago, like I was used to the craziness of a big city, just like so many people and like so many weirdos. Mm-hmm. But like, just like. LA is its own beast, man. Like yeah. LA is really its own. So, uh, I feel like, like in only being there for like four or five months, like I, I definitely don't feel like I like conquered it like mentally or emotionally. Like, I feel like, like I was just there and I, I got an experience and that's about it. And you do know? you still have like some love for it? Because I've been there a million times and I have a very strong love hate relationship with the city of LA. Every now and then I'm like, fuck it, I'm yeah. going to go move to LA. And then I remember the people out there are just like kind of self-absorbed, like really just into their own thing. And like, I just associate better with like New York people. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've only been to New York once and it was for like a weekend, but it felt like, like, me having an interest in fashion and just kind of like branching that out to like being a lifestyle. Like it felt like LA is just so like flashy and in your face. And like everybody, everybody like feels this need that they have to be someone, mm-hmm. but New York felt like a lot more authentic. Like New York felt like, like people in New York are fly as fuck. And it's not like, it's not because they're trying to be like, it's just like in them, yeah, you know, I, so I, New, I York, agree. New York has like a, a completely different vibe. And like LA, I have, I have so much love for LA. Like it's such a fun place. Um, it just felt like it just felt so busy. And like, it was, I felt like it was hard to maintain friendships there because of like, everybody is just so busy all the time and everything is so far away. Like you have to plan your day of being in like one area. Yeah. Cause like transportation is like, impossible there. <laughs> yeah. It really so. is. <laughs> So you go from so yeah. So do you go from four or five months in LA and then immediately out to Japan, or how, how does that kind of evolve? No, I um, I went back to uh, 
I went back to Minneapolis after. So this is like my third year of school, I think. Mm-hmm. Like the second semester of my third year. So then I came back to Minneapolis for like a full year. And uh, and then I, I went to Japan. And another big thing is in my second year of college, I went um, I went with my friend to Nepal. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, we went on. It was it was his it was his thing. But then he told me about it. And I was like, dude, can I join you? <laughs> and what we did was we, then this friend is Miles Phillips, by the way. Shout out Miles Phillips. He's a super talented dude, great photographer and a great friend. So I just want to shout that dude out. Awesome. But um, he was going there to volunteer for a program called All Hands. And what they do is disaster relief. Mm-hmm. And there was really bad earthquakes in Nepal, like, some years ago. Right. And uh, the program was, was rebuilding schools. So you sign up and if you get accepted, there's no fees. A lot of volunteer programs are like pretty expensive, mm-hmm. but this one had no fees and you didn't really need any experience or anything. And you just show up and do construction oh. and they give you three meals a day and like a place to sleep. Awesome. And uh, yeah, it was a really, really cool experience. But when I went out there, uh, I, I just started getting into photography. That was my major in school was mm-hmm. photo. And uh, it was just a great experience to take pictures. And like, it was my first time I've traveled abroad before, but this was the first time like on my own. Right. Um, Cause I just met him there. Like we went our own ways. He stayed longer than I did. He stayed there for like a month where oh, I was wow. there for about like two weeks and then went back by myself. And, uh, and like the construction was hard because it was all, like everything was manual. Mm-hmm. Like there was no, there was no like machinery machines. <laughs> yeah. there, there's literally no machinery. Like there was hardly running water. So like nothing, like when you were mixing concrete, like they use, you know, mixers. I don't know. I have I have no idea how construction works, <laughs> but what we were doing was like shovels, 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 cement mix, water, and like, fine grain sand yeah. that you would throw through a grainer to like make it, make it fine grain. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that was rough, but it was, it was so rewarding. And then there was another aspect where like, since we were building schools, there was schools set up, but they just weren't as safe. Mm-hmm. Like we were trying to build, you know, earthquake proof schools. Right. And uh, when the kids finished classes we were finishing work and if you wanted to you could volunteer to like do either like english or like art lessons with them and i've always had this subconscious uh this subconscious dream to be a teacher like i didn't i wouldn't call it my dream like when somebody asked me what i wanted to do i would never say a teacher but it was always in the back of my head that like i wanted to do that so when i heard about those those lessons i jumped on board right away and that was like my favorite part of the trip and then right when I got back from the trip, I was back in Minneapolis. We had a, I was taking teaching classes like as a minor and we had a guest artist come and she did the program that I'm doing now in Japan. Mm-hmm. So she told us about, it's called JET, Japanese exchange teaching. She like in her bio, she mentioned that she went to Japan and this is literally like, I just got back from Nepal and I, I wanted to do something overseas again. And I realized that I like teaching a lot. So when I heard the teaching English thing, I just kept that in the back of my mind. And then my last year of school, I got more serious about it. And yeah, that's, that's how I ended up here. That's what, that's what like created the motivation to 
to apply for it. That's pretty awesome. So how, how, the JET program, is that something that you have to apply for and be accepted into? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's The only requirements are you have to be like a native or fluent English speaker. You mm-hmm. have to have a bachelor's degree, but it could be in anything, like mine is in photography. And, uh, and no crazy criminal record. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. those are the only requirements. Nice. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but. And two years later, you're still there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like it a lot. I, um, so there's, when I came here, I knew no Japanese. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing. Like I knew like Konnichiwa and Arigato. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> that's it. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I work in high schools and like, there's different rumors about like who gets placed where, but, um, I, I'm in high school and a lot of the high school teachers like either don't know Japanese at all, or like they have some experience teaching and I'm both of that. So I work at high school, but it's cool because the kids are more grown. It's not like babysitting, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they, high schoolers know what they like and what they don't like. And they know that they don't care about learning English. Yeah. So that makes it, that makes it a little rough sometimes. Well, do they have a fair foundation of English at that point in their lives already? Yeah, you would think, um, cause they study it like forever. I yeah. think it's just getting introduced to like, it's either like a regular course now in elementary school or like kindergarten, mm-hmm. but like they, they, some some of these kids have like multiple English classes a day. Like they focus on it more oh, in wow. their in their high school career. So it's it's pretty strong. And it's um I work at two high schools. There's only two high schools on the island that I live on. Mm-hmm. And um one is a is an academic high school. So those kids are gonna try to go to like college or university or like something like that after. And then the other is a commercial high school and it teaches a lot more like business strategies and like also like agricultural stuff. Like a lot of these people are going to be either like farmers or like fishers. Mm -hmm. And then like it also, it gets them ready to go into like a trade school and the level, the level of English conversation between those two schools is, is pretty crazy. Like, like the, the, the commercial high school where they're just going to work, like they don't really care. So they're, they're pretty low. If they, there's some students who are like engaged and they actually want to, learn it and mm-hmm. they want to remember stuff and like, want to use it and they they they're pretty good but then the other school is like i've i've read essays and stuff that are like on par with my high school oh, like wow. they're yeah they're really really good i have i've had students where i have like full conversations with that's awesome i, I mean i think pretty crazy. I, I would think it's probably very similar to people in america who took like their second language in in high school and then even into college that took it very seriously and either yeah. either adopted a minor once they got to college or you know just something that they were super passionate about i mean it, it probably boils down to how much you want to get out of something that will dictate how how well you do oh, at it a hundred percent that that goes with like everything yeah, for sure. So photography yeah. is obviously a, a similar passion that we both share. Um, kind of explain mm-hmm. to me, you know, before diving into how you got started in college and whatnot, what's like uh, the, the first memory that you have of picking up a camera, whether as like a kid or high school or whatever? Uh, dude, I uh, I didn't get into it until college. I, my 
my portfolio to get into college was, uh, was like drawing and painting stuff. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And, uh, I just, I, we had foundation courses and like everything. So we had like a 3d foundation course, which was like wood shop and, uh, like ironwork and stuff like that. And then we had like a graphic design course, drawing one, drawing two, which is like still life and like figure drawing. And then we had media, which is like a little bit of video and photography. And, uh, I just remember having the most fun doing my photography assignments. Like I just, it, I, I moved to Minneapolis not knowing anybody mm-hmm. and I used the camera as a way to like just getting around the city and like having experiences. And I, I quickly kind of became known as the kid to hit up if you were trying to like find spots in Minneapolis, like cool spots, because I was just, I was just out there searching. Nice. And like, yeah, that that's, that's how I got into it. I was a big, like, I, I kind of had that like urban explorer tip that a lot of people get into. Mm-hmm. I had a big rooftop phase where I was just like trying to get on rooftops, like a motherfucker. And like, <laughs> you, know, you know, like I went through, I definitely went through stages of photography, but, um, but then I, I got, when I started doing like analog, when I was doing like film stuff, that's when I, I kind of became like a technical like nerd. And I just, yeah, it's it's funny to talk about it because it seems like a distant memory because now I like barely take pictures. I like, my, my camera's like, my cameras don't even work. I got like one thirty-five millimeter that the light meter's busted <laughs> and my DSLR just like took a dump on me. So I just use my phone for everything. That's but, so um, funny. I, uh. Yeah, I, I too got into it super late in life, and you know, even post college, I didn't pick up a camera uh, until probably like my late twenties. And it's really only been like in the last four or five years that it's been something that I've really, really, you know, put a lot of effort into. Um, yeah, but it's funny because like you know, you mentioned your camera's broken and your DSLR doesn't work. I've got like I was talking to our mutual friend Tyler uh James about this recently. Yes. I've got this huge problem where like every couple of years I change up my gear for no reason. So like I started mm. off similarly uh I think my first DSLR was like I don't know the Canon 60D or 80D or one of those, you know, just yeah. medium spec cost cameras and a couple lenses. And then I was like, well, you know, I'm not really doing landscape or like portraiture i'm a super into street photography so i bought the fuji x100f this is probably like three to five years ago and i love that camera and then you know as you get into like the nuances of photography it's like well you know i i don't really like shooting digital anymore i want to shoot film because i i for a long time was just like listen all these pictures I'm taking that I'm storing on my hard drive are going to disappear the second that I die. And then I was like, there, I'm not like leaving anything behind. So I started shooting film and shooting yeah. a fuckload of film. And then I'm yeah. spending all this money on film and like, it's crazy. And recently I just sold my like M6 and I'm like going through this transitional phase of like what I'm keeping and what I'm getting rid of. And I've got, sold a couple point and shoots and it's just funny how much my gear and my like desire to shoot specific things change so often. Um, and especially yeah. for someone like you who like started as a photographer and someone was super passionate about it. And then like, you've got your cameras collecting dust now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, well, I think what you're doing with like buying new gear and stuff is, is actually a good thing because it's keeping you excited about it. Like having a new toy to play with is like half the fun of photography. hundred you know? percent. I completely agree. So my, like, my bank account disagrees, like, but <laughs> I, I do. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. But like, 
experience over over money yeah. and like uh and it's also damn I, I lost my train of thought I, I damn I had a bar that's all right <laughs> <laughs> um it well you wanna you want like a I, different I was gonna say setup I, yeah I, like, I want to be I want to have the tool in my my room or my bag that makes me want to go out and make something. And I think I've gotten to the point now where I, I actually just picked up the X 100 V. Um, I still have like my Hasselblad 500 CM medium format camera. So I'll use that for portraiture. Um, I've got a Canon EOS R, uh, that I'll use for like digital portraiture work or, and like headshots and, and whatever else that I'm doing. And then I can use the X 100 V for street stuff. And I feel like I've kind of hit my stride. I mean, I also have like 20 other fucking 35 millimeter cameras. Like if I could list a hundred of them, like it's stupid how many I have, but it's like, I still have them if I want to shoot some 35 millimeter. Um, but I think now I've got to the point where like, I have the stuff that I think I don't need to do anything else anymore. And then that being said in a year or two, I'll be like, Oh, I need to go buy a Leica MP. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, it's like it, it, they, it has such a strong, like a different camera, new lens and stuff. Like, it changes your style so much and it, like other people not, might not realize it, but like you do when you're looking like close up at those photos, like you realize the little differences. And that's, that's another thing that helps make it exciting. Oh, I completely um, agree. Completely agree. I, uh, one of the reasons I, I feel like I also probably fell out is because I was going to a school where I could rent all those cameras and I didn't have to pay for them. Oh, nice. And now I don't, <laughs> yeah. now I don't, go to that school and I, I need to buy all that stuff. I really want to buy a medium format camera. I think once I have a medium format film camera, I'll get back into it. Um, I've shot, a, I've shot pretty much every single one of them. Um, because again, so like I, just, <laughs> I just have a problem where I'd like that feel the need to try every camera that's out there. Um, I started off yeah. with the Mamiya six. Um, and it oh was- my God, I love it. I love that camera. It was a sweet camera. I really, really liked it. But, you know, being that I had the, the Leica rangefinder, I just, I don't know. It, it was a little bit too stealthy for me. Like, I wanted to be a lot more intentional with my medium format, uh, photo work. And I felt like I was shooting 120 as a street photography camera. And that's just stupid and super expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I gotta tell you, the Hasselblad 500 CM, or 503 CM, whichever one you can find is like the, I get so much joy when I press that shutter release button. It just has the sound that like makes my dreams come true. It is. It's, and it's It's like clunky. Yeah. It's like, it's it's amazing. And like every time I fire it off, I'm like, Oh, it's such a satisfying sound. And just the tactile nature of the camera in general is, it's something that I, I super enjoy. Um, but Mamiya makes a bunch of really great medium format cameras and you really can't go wrong with any of them that are on the marketplace. It's just, they're super expensive. Yeah. The one I want is the seven. I want the Mamiya seven. That's what I shot at school. Like all the time. They're like $2,000. So expensive. Yeah. And well, luckily you're in Japan. You could probably get a good deal on that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe on camera stuff. Yeah. Um, cause like 95% of the cameras that are on eBay are from Japan. Yeah. Dude, you know, what's a really interesting thing about Japan is, uh, before I came here, I thought that they were going to be so like far advanced with technology, mm-hmm. but it's like, they just make that shit and then sell it overseas. Like, <laughs> my school still uses fax machines. Oh my and, God. Like, CDs for everything. Like they, they very rarely use like Bluetooth speakers 
or like wow. <laughs> like anything dude it's it's insane i find that incredibly surprising especially just you know considering its proximity to like where all that stuff is is made you would think yeah. that they yeah would you f- think about tokyo and you think that they would have like flying cars and shit but <laughs> yeah. no they're still using tax machines <laughs> they oh. still have like blockbuster dude there's a there's a video rental store that's amazing it it makes absolutely yeah. no sense that that still exists but that is amazing <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty sweet and like i i remember driving past there and i just like saw this family get out of their like minivan and these kids like running into the store. And then I saw that same family, like a little bit later at the convenience store and they're getting like ice cream and snacks and shit. And I was like, Oh, like this is, that was like such a, such a thick piece of nostalgia that I wouldn't expect to have seen here. I, uh, I was hanging out with my, my brother and my sister and my sister's fiance and my brother's wife last night. And we were doing some drinking and, talking about childhood and blockbuster came up and it's just so funny how when you were a kid it's like oh friday night like you know dad's gonna take us to blockbuster we're gonna pick a movie we're we're gonna get a fucking microwavable popcorn some candy and we're gonna watch something and it's like i miss that it's not a thing anymore and and you know there's streaming services they drop movies you know whatever day of the week and you could pay your 20 bucks and watch it from home but that feeling of walking up and down the shelves at Blockbuster and then like finding some random new candy that came out and like I don't know it's it's we, yeah. we were we were definitely fomoing a little bit about that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a whole ritual, and like when I think about Blockbuster, I feel like I could smell it. I know that's so funny. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh man, such yeah. a hilarious. Oh yeah, it's totally nostalgic. Um, so from fucking Midwest Minneapolis to LA to Japan, um, cameras teaching English. Tell me about your clothing brand. How did that kind of get started? Um, obviously, I you know we're mutuals on Instagram, and I've I've you know stalked your shit, and it's fucking really cool stuff. Um, so what kind oh, of oh no problem? What uh what kind of inspired you to start the the label, and and what is like your intentionality behind the the pieces that you make? Uh, so first of all, technically speaking, a part of the reason, so when I went, when I went to college, I didn't really have any, any desired outcome. I, um, I just had gotten over some, like, like my early high school was probably the roughest patch of my life. And then I, I didn't really, I was coming out of that and like the end of my high school years. And I was, I was making a lot of stuff. Like I was very creative at that time, but just like drawing, painting, just like doing shit. And that's what led me into school. And like I had in the back of my mind, like I either want to be a tattoo artist or I want to make clothes. And there was screen printing classes and stuff, but they, they were really hard to get into. And they were like more about like the art of printmaking. I just wanted to make fucking t-shirts and they, they hated kids like me who just wanted (laughs) to come in there and make t-shirts. And uh, I, I wasn't really able to get into that, but through photography, which I just did because I enjoyed it. Like the only reason I got into photography, I ended up switching my major to photography, like was just because I had fun doing it. And mm-hmm. then we had an alternate process class. And in the alternate process class, I learned cyanotypes, which cyanotypes are like one of the earliest ways of photo making. They're salt based. It uses chemistry and sunlight to make blueprints. You use a photographic negative because that's layers of black that stops the light and creates the image. So you can make really detailed images on like pretty much anything on like paper, cotton, like cloth, wood, pretty much whatever. And uh, right when my teacher told me that, I I was like, if you do this on cloth, like how long does it stay? 
And he was like, oh, it's permanent. I was like, could you do it on clothing? He's like, yeah, probably. And then from that point, I just started experimenting and experimenting until I got my process down, which is like, I, I had the images that I want to put onto a shirt. I cut out fabric first. I soak the uh, fabric in, in the chemistry. I make the print and then I sew it on. I don't do direct printing onto the clothing because I feel it's more, I think the longevity is better and like the image looks better when I do it on a, on a separate piece of cotton. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for imagery, like that's always kind of changing. Sometimes I do customs for people where it's like just stuff that they like. Mm-hmm. Um, but lately I've been trying to, I've been trying to have pieces that are more consistent where it's like, I have like one idea that I express through like multiple images in this one piece. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just shit that I like. Sometimes I see a painting and I'm like, that is a really dope painting. I want to put that on a hoodie. Or sometimes I see clothes that I can't afford that I like, like the Supreme Akira collab. Oh my like, God. Yeah. That shit is like <laughs> thousands of dollars. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, I could just make my own Akira clothes and I could probably make it like way doper than this. So that's, that's been my motivation. That's pretty awesome. Um, I mean, it's, it is unlike any other pieces of clothing that I've seen. And I'm super in a street where I've got a ton of Kif and, uh, I don't really fuck oh, with Supreme. Oh, nice. Yeah. Dude, damn, Kif is dope. Yeah. I don't fuck with Supreme so much. I, I just, I don't know. They, they do all those cross, uh, collaborations with so many different brands. And I just feel like who is Supreme other than like a logo? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. For I like sure. I like the. And I totally I totally understand the hate on Supreme because of how like big it got. Yeah. But like Supreme, dude, I was buying Supreme when I was fucking when I was fourteen, fifteen. I was selling weed and buying Supreme, and that was when like it shit wouldn't sell out. Like you could get it like a week later. I mean, like, huge I was regret for like a minute. <laughs> huge regret so. that I wasn't into it at at a younger age because that shit would be worth fucking so much money now. And I still get like, you know, I I happen to like the story behind Kith. I like the dude who created the brand. I like how he kind of got started. And I I like a lot of his collaborations, I think are are tastefully done and like artistically pretty great. Um, But again, it's like, I'm spending 240 fucking dollars on a hoodie. It's like, dude, yeah, it's cotton. It's, it's a fucking hoodie. (laughs) For sure, for sure. But dude, they uh, kids make some good quality stuff. Oh no, like, no, the, yeah, that's, no. that's a, uh, yeah, a hoodie that's yeah. gonna last you, you know. Oh, for sure. And I've I've gotten to the point, and one of the reasons why I super appreciate the 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 clothing that you're making is I've gotten to the point where I'm trying to pare down my my uh, my wardrobe as much as possible and have like very specific number of pieces, you know, crew neck hoodies, hoodies t-shirts you know i've got like a fucking a thousand t-shirts it's like i'm never gonna wear all these t-shirts so i'm starting to yeah. try to be super intentional on what i keep you know pants wise and shoes wise i've got a hundred plus sneaker collection it's like I, i've got too much of everything and uh it's, yeah. it's time to pare down that being said i'm definitely going to have to cop something from you <laughs> oh for sure thanks man yeah um, I appreciate that. But I just find uh, it, I find it, it's like such a unique take on, you know, streetwear. I, I mean, I don't know if you want to consider it streetwear. If you do, um, I certainly do. Yeah, um, but it's just so, I, I mean, obviously I'm going to link it in the show notes below. It's just so unique and, and just like, I don't know. I, I'm, tr- I'm, I'm lost on the words and how to describe the coolness of it and like the uniqueness of the look and feel of the cyano, whatever it's called. Um, it's just dope. Cyanotype. Cyanotype. Yeah. Thank you. Um, 
Yeah, dude. I uh, do just today. I because I I don't know of anybody else who's doing this. Like I've never seen anybody else doing cyanotype stuff. But just today, I saw someone on Instagram who's using cyanotypes, and they like they had about the same. They do it a little bit different. They do direct printing, mm-hmm. and they just do like white hoodies with like big portraits of like famous people on it. So they'll do like a Kurt Cobain or like a, I saw like Caliucci's or like, and I think he does customs, but. He made a TikTok video that went viral. Oh, we have wow. like about the same amount of followers, but his TikTok video blew up and I was so jealous. <laughs> I was looking at this shit so jealous because I've been doing this for a minute. Like I've been doing this for like almost two years now and I'm like, damn it. Like I didn't get, I didn't get picked up like that, but whatever. It's uh like he's in his own lane. I'm in mine and like our work looks completely different. We're just using the same method. So like, Got to gotta respect the hustle, you know? I think but, uh, I think you just touched on something that's super important because it's something that I struggle as a photographer. Um, you look at people, you know, I, I've gone through this journey for long enough where you see some of your friends blow up and, like, get huge followings. And it's super hard for me to, like, you know, rationalize not caring about that. And, like, I'm obviously super happy for everyone that blows up and, like, you know, I'm not yeah. jealous. Like, I am there's a twinge of jealousy but at the end of the day I just got to keep reminding myself that like this is a number on a screen on an application that lives on my phone because I allow it to live there um, so like I yeah. totally understand what you're saying but I think it's it's like something that we all struggle with in any aspect of our life like that FOMO and that like you know regret or jealousy uh, from social media and it's like so toxic that it just sucks <laughs> yeah that being sure. said that, that being said you just need to make a tiktok and go viral <laughs> yeah for sure like i i'm always late to things for like especially like social media i'm i'm always late to like like i get into a social media when it's already like dying like i, My, I was like you joined MySpace last week <laughs> yeah yeah some shit <laughs> like that like um and I, I haven't gotten on the TikTok because I just, honestly, I just think it's annoying. And uh, I keep wondering if I should. But also, like, the people, like, the people who make really good edited TikTok videos, like, that's a hustle. And that's oh, a hustle yeah. that I don't really want to do. Oh, you know? I, I completely so, like, agree. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just going to stick to, you know, I, something I think about a lot is, like, the saying jack of all trades is a master of none Mm -hmm. and like i have so many hobbies i have so many interests like so many things that i want to get better at that it's hard for me to like really sit down and focus on like one thing Mm -hmm. so i really i really feel like i just got to focus on making dope pieces of clothing and eventually like just through that work and hustle like it'll pay off I, I know it will. Because like whenever I whenever I do put my mind to it, I I, I feel rewards both like internally and externally. I was gonna say uh, I think so, I think anyone who has that level of cognition uh, about the, whatever it is that they're doing has to be successful. Like there there's really there's not yeah. there's not many people who can like articulate and internalize what you just said and not be a success in what they're doing because you get it like at at the end of the day, like you get exactly what you want to do and you're doing it. And I think that it's just definitely a matter of time for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and also like nobody makes it on their own. 
Oh, and that's, sure. a, I think a lot of times, like, especially for artists, we, we want to put all of our, all the workload on ourselves, but like literally nobody has come up doing that. Like you have to know. And then like, you also just have to like collaborating and working with people that, that, that's a skill in itself. And mm-hmm. that's something that like, like it, it has to build with time. Um, but it's all, it's all part of the adventure, man. It's fun. I, I, like, I, I like it's, agree. it's easy to get. It's easy to get caught up in the social media shit because we spend so much time on it. Like I, I regret the amount of time I spent just like scrolling through Instagram, but like at the end of the day, like none of that shit is real. Sometimes you can make relationships from it and those relationships turn out into a real thing. Like what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. But like, besides that, like you can't let it dictate your, your life. Yeah. You know, it has to go ahead. Uh, it like, like your, your artwork has to be something that can live outside of that. Mm -hmm. That's the important part. It's like, this looks dope on Instagram, but it looks better in real life. Like that could be, you know, that any type of artwork should, should have that to it. I completely agree. And, uh, I, I think like going a step deeper, like the, the relationships that you make out of this stuff is ultimately, I think what it should always just really boil down to, because, you know, I I give Tyler as a really good example. Like we literally just became friends on Instagram and he's done such a tremendous job cultivating a community around his artwork and his photography. And he's an inspiration to me. And now he's a friend and, you know, he introduced us and now we're having this amazing conversation about, you know, life and how you get to places and how you go for things that you want. And it's ultimately that is the sole benefit of these platforms and i think one of the cool things about them Mm -hmm. as well for sure for sure for sure i uh like when i was when i was living in minneapolis for my senior project my right around graduation uh literally the day after graduation i think i um i did a fashion show in minneapolis and that that would not have happened if it wasn't for instagram like i met so many people through instagram and people sharing my work and stuff like that that like half of the models, half of the, like my stylist I met through Instagram, um, a lot of the hair and makeup people, like everybody was, was through that. And like, I'm super grateful for that. And dude, I was on my DMS like all day. That was my (laughs) hustle, man. That was my nine to five. It was just like DMing people and like linking stuff up. I feel like I don't have that as much in Japan, but once my Japanese gets better, hopefully I'll get there. Yeah. I mean, that's just, the you know the the difficulty of being in a foreign country and you know language barriers and stuff but i I think ultimately that like that hustle is something that will lead to longevity in success and you know whether it's your clothing brand or picking up a camera again um it's those type of things that will ultimately lead to your success uh for sure yeah um obviously starting a clothing brand is not easy i know because i i actually started one myself a couple years ago but never really did anything with it um from like a specific uh you know piece of garment perspective what is some of like your inspirations that go into a particular design or a particular theme or um what what kind of like what are the things that like aesthetically you look for or look to make when it comes to, you know, jean jackets or hoodies or whatever it might be. Mm, I usually, ah, it's, it depends. Like, so at this point I have a big stack of negatives that I use to make the prints. Mm -hmm. And like, sometimes I just grab a hoodie, like I grab stuff at the thrift store and then I just start, I start throwing negatives on and just like seeing how stuff looks and then just, 
just making something out of that. Like a lot of times it's just like aesthetic based of like, this looks good together. But then sometimes I do it in the reverse where like I have an image that I know I want to use. And then I, I try to find a piece of clothing. Like I try to thrift something or buy something online or whatever that fits the mood I'm going for. And then, uh, and I feel like those pieces are more successful because mm-hmm. they, they have more thought. So like right now, um, I'm worried to talk about this because I didn't start it and talking about something that you didn't start is an a-hole move. Cause then if you don't do it, you look like an a-hole. So maybe no, having think... this on the wrong advice podcast will make me do this. I was just going to say, but, uh... <laughs> let, let this be the manifestation of you finishing it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, uh, I, do you listen to Frank Ocean? Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I'm trying to do, I love blonde. Like blonde is one of my favorite albums of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's a masterpiece yeah, he's and like- I'm trying, I want to do, uh, a series of clothes that are like from the best song. So like really trying to dissect the song and then make a piece of clothing that resembles that. And like, there's so much visual language in his music that it'd be really easy to just like take some of the metaphors and stuff and use those but i'm trying to like get the feeling and that's the project that i'm going to be working on for the next i don't know how long it's going to take but that's awesome i'm 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 excited about that so that's and when i did the fashion show um the theme of the fashion show was alchemy Uh and alchemy is like the deconstruction and reconstruction of matter Mm -hmm. into like rearranging an object. And that's, that's what I felt like I was doing with the clothing. It's like I was rearranging clothing to have this new life. Like I was taking old clothes and giving it this new breath. And I was literally using a chemical process to do this. Mm -hmm. And then the theme of the, uh, of the show and like how the, how the pieces moved was like also kind of an autobiography about, about myself of like me breaking down and then building myself back up. And like, you could see it through the pieces. They gradually, like they started off at a, at a basic point. Then they became like really distressed, like things that were stitched together, things that were like, you know, falling apart, like huge holes in them. And then they built back up into like my cleanest stuff was at the end. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was kind of the idea. Right. So it's like when you see an individual shirt and it's just like, like, I don't know, like it's got like, an Akira character or like a Frankenstein on it. Like you probably don't think that much, but I think when you saw the whole collection together, you would get, and with like, like the music and the atmosphere that I set, like it would make more sense. That's cool. Um, let's say it takes six months or whatever for you to put this collection together. Um, obviously the world is a different place than it was 12 months ago. Um, how has COVID impacted like your life in the last year? And then like, how do you think it'll like impact you moving forward? And then, you know, in terms of rolling into like a new show or a new collection, um, you know, uh, a new gear line, et cetera. Like how, how's like the last year been and like, how is it kind of going to look for you moving forward? Cause I, I, from what I've heard, I, I, I believe Japan was like crushed it right off the bat and things were more or less been yeah. for, a, for a lot longer than it has been here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shit. The main downside of Corona in Japan is I haven't been able to go home. Like, uh, I haven't been able to even just take a trip home. So I'm, I'm stuck here, man. Yeah. Like, and I like my job and I like living here. So I want to continue my work and stuff, but like, I can't even like, I can't go say what's up. 
So I haven't been home in, in two years almost. Oh, wow. Which is pretty wild. It's the longest I've went without seeing my family and stuff. So uh, there's that. And I've, I've went through stages of like being really homesick and like, I need to get out of here to like recently I've been thinking like, I kind of want to stay in Japan long term. Mm-hmm. Like I've gotten, you know, it's, I, my mind changes a lot. So uh, that's the main effect. And then like, dude, I live on a tiny island. Like there's like, there's like 30,000 people who live here. If, if I drive end to end on this island, it's like 20, 30 minutes. Oh, so wow. there's not, there's, dude, there's no nightlife. Like there's no, my, so, my social interaction has already been cut so much mm-hmm. that it's like coronavirus was like not even that big of a deal. Cause like we still now, now it's going like the cases are going up a little bit and there's a, there's a few cases on the Island, which like most of like vast majority of the time we've had none. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are, people are a little bit more strict here. Uh, and I don't know, they don't really go out as much, but uh, if anything like that helps me just make more work cause I'm just home, you know, mm-hmm. something to do. Yeah. Uh, I, once, once this shit is over, I'm definitely trying to like, I haven't been going to Tokyo. I wouldn't really go to Tokyo because it's such a big, that's where the most cases are. Mm-hmm. Um, Tokyo and Osaka. And I, I actually recently went to Osaka before it got bad. Actually like, right around when it got bad. And like, how far Time is that from where you are? Uh, so I live in Kyushu. I live in the South region. I live like two hours away from a city called Fukuoka, which is like the sixth biggest city in Japan. Okay. Um, I would, I would, I have to take a two hour boat to get to Fukuoka. Like that's how I start any adventure that I do. And I go to Fukuoka like regularly. Um, and then I'd have to take an, like, it's like a two hour flight to Tokyo or like a one hour flight to Osaka. It'd be like a 12, 14 hour drive to Tokyo. Mm-hmm. So, not, so it's not, like not it's like bad. Chicago to New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not too bad. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So, um, they, so, so move, move. Once, once this is over, I'm gonna try to get out there more and just like start meeting people and like getting like getting the name of the brand out there. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel pre- yeah. do you feel pressure? Um, you know, you're mentioning like the guy on TikTok who blew up and whatnot. Do do you feel pressure? Um, either externally or internally to have like a timeline for success. Like, um, this brand needs to be oh, selling. No. no. Oh, that's awesome. No, no, I don't. Cause I like, I used to beat myself up for that a lot. Like I used to be like, damn, this person is famous and they're the same age as me. <laughs> and, um, I don't know. I just like, I don't want to fight where my life is at. Like, does that make sense? hundred percent. I don't want to, Super important. I, I don't know how old you are. Uh, we, we never really touched on that. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm young, man. I'm 20, 23. Wow. I turn 24 next week. Talk about yeah. having the right perspective on life at an incredibly young age. I mean... Oh, thanks, man. Completely, Damn, utterly... Yeah, completely, utterly uncommon. Uh, I mean, when I was 23, 24, I was buying watches and sneakers and going to clubs and trying to fuck girls and didn't have any, mm. any remote idea of who i was or what i wanted so kudos you. i mean i do that to you too, well yeah no no i'm sure you do <laughs> <laughs> i'm not saying that i'm not saying like the two are mutually exclusive of one another but <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. But yeah, yeah. To, to pay you a further compliment, I didn't have that level of clarity because um, I very much, oh, thank you. I thank very you. much felt like I was keeping up with the Joneses for a good part of mm. my twenties, for sure. Mm. Mm. I um, I um. Dude, how how far are we into this? How much time do we have? Uh, we got plenty of time. I mean, we're only forty five minutes. Okay, on. cool. Okay, dude, fucking, I um, I got all my crazy out of me when I was like fourteen, fifteen. Do you want to? Do you want to include this? <laughs> wild kid. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, dude. I don't care. I'm I'm a pretty open book. All right. Um, so we'll uh, we'll do a little snip snip here, and then I'll go. All right, so I mean, obviously you're you're pretty well rounded for a guy who's in his early twenties. What was it like growing up? Did you, were you just like going crazy? Yeah, I um, dude, I damn, I'm trying to think of the best, the best starting point. So when I, I've I I grew up in a town where it's like mainly kind of jockey people. Like just it's kind of like you know, Chicago's known for like loving sports. Like people just mm-hmm. like love sports. And like drinking beer and like cars and shit. And I liked weird punk rock music and like skateboarding and stuff, like since I was a kid. So nice. I was already kind of like an outcast. And then there was there's kids older than me who were into that kind of stuff. So when I got into high school, I had these like, you know, more a lot of them weren't jockey. I would just say like more like in the crowd, like kind of preppy kids were like my friends in my group. And then they started they started doing their thing where they're like getting into drinking and getting into like smoking weed and stuff like that. And then I had this image already built around me that I was like the bad kid before I even was <laughs> because of the music. So then when I got into high school, yeah, just because of the stuff that I liked. And then when I got into high school, just from a stream of events, we were doing drugs. That was the, that was the big thing in like in my area. And it's still, it's still a bad problem. And it's like, part of the reason I've made such an effort to like get so far away from there is because it's so thick in that community. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I feel like that I wasn't doing anything crazy. I was, um, I was like smoking a lot of weed and then I was, I was popping pills and stuff like that. And like doing like acid and stuff like that. I stopped when I was 16, I did Coke for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is, like, I, I never thought that I was going to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I never thought that I was going to get to that point. And I'm like, this is the next, the next step is like heroin. And yeah. I'm not going to be able to walk back from that. Yep. So from that point, I quit everything cold turkey. And, uh, I mean, I, I would still like smoke weed and drink from time to time, but I wasn't, and since I made that conscious decision when I was 16, I haven't put anything up my nose. I haven't taken a pill stronger than ibuprofen and like, I just, I just cut that shit off. And, uh, I just feel like that aged me so quickly. Sure. Like I just felt so much older. Cause a lot of people do that when they get into college, but I got into college and I was like, I just want to focus on my artwork. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I don't give a fuck about party. Like I already did that shit. I know, I know what it's like. I'm good. You know? Mm-hmm. For sure. I think, uh, again, you know, not to give you too many compliments. I think at, at 16 years old to, have the foresight to be able to look at like a path that you're going down and knowing that you can quickly go down a road that you can't turn around from, uh, is not the norm. And you, you, you see it all the time. There's such a huge drug problem in this country. 
Um, yeah. That, uh, you know, I got to give you credit for that because, yeah, I mean, I know plenty of people that, you know, have not been able to turn around from that and, you know, sadly no longer with us. And like, it's just, yeah, it's kind of refreshing to hear someone who kind of like, you know, saw the writing on the wall was like, listen, I can't fuck with this shit anymore. And, you know, at yeah. 16, that's incredibly uncommon. That is a mid-20s person who's been doing stuff for too long that is able to come to that rational conclusion. Um, so I, I think, I, you know, I hope if, if someone who's young who's listening to this, you know, can take anything away from it, it's that, like, it's never too late to make changes in your life, you know, and, uh, <clears throat> yeah, got to <throat> g- give you a lot of credit for that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's never too late. And it's never too early. Like you don't gotta be like, Oh, these are my teenage years. I got to keep partying. Like if you're, if you're over it, you're over it. Mm-hmm. Like move on, you know? Absolutely. And, uh, that was something that quickly taught me who my friends were because it's like, I had so many, so many quote unquote friends at that time. And then it's just like, once I wasn't getting high and doing crazy shit, a lot of them didn't want to hang out with me anymore. And like, I don't want, I, I, I'm assuming some of my friends are going to listen to this mm-hmm. and uh, it, a lot of, there is a lot of people from that group and from that time that I still love to death and super close with and talk to all the time. So it's like, and, and another thing is like, when you talk about those like drug related experiences, like I'm still grateful, you know, mm-hmm. I'm still, it wasn't all bad. No, no. Know? A it, lot I'm- of it was, and I'm happy that I got out of it when I did, because I saw it, I saw it ruin people's lives or take people's lives away but i'm i feel like i'm a more i have way more perspective from doing that yeah yeah than other people i mean i would agree i uh i wasn't much for pills growing up um i drank a lot smoked weed uh done cocaine uh i i I don't have much of an addictive personality unless it's like buying shit uh that for sure i have um but for me, uh, growing up, I was never, I never felt pressure to do stuff. I never felt like obligation to be doing something because other people were doing it. Um, and I know that's not common. I, I know it's tough, especially to be like a 14, 15, 16 year old kid and you're at a party and everyone's smoking weed or people are doing pills and it's hard for you to be like, Oh, uh, yeah, I don't want to do that because there's tons of pressure there. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, I, I never was like that growing up. And I think, you know, a lot of the experiences that I had in those situations, even though I wasn't necessarily partaking was more or less not a, a terrible thing. Um, you know, that's not to condone drug use or fucking alcoholism for kids who are underage. Um, but I think like, uh, I, I, part of me thinks that if at a younger age, more kids were like exposed to drinking and uh, a little bit more of that social stuff. There would be less, you know, fatalities in college for kids who never drank in high school or, you know, if, 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 you know, dare was like a joke as a kid, like that didn't teach us anything. Oh yeah. It didn't like, dude, dares, dares what I started doing shit. Dares like, I was like, this shit is lame as fuck. I got to start doing drugs to like, (laughs) I was like, Oh my so yeah, so Dare uh didn't really uh do it for me. It didn't uh really it's it's funny to say because like it, it was obviously a very social conscious uh program to keep kids off drugs, but it just didn't really connect, I don't think, with anybody and everyone as a kid was just like, Okay, cool, can't wait to drink, can't wait to smoke weed, etc. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It it if anything, like Yeah, I just wanna do that shit more because it was like the only thing that I was hearing about it was like, Oh, you get buzzed off smoking tobacco. <laughs> and like, I heard about the drunk and I was like, damn, that shit sounds kind of nice. 
And I feel like when Dare was around is like when I first got into doing whatever. And like in this conversation, I feel like I'm giving you like the spark notes version of everything. Like it's crazy how much of my life we've like quickly went through, which I appreciate. Like it's cool to talk about this stuff, but like, especially when it comes to, man, there's just so much that could be unraveled from my time as a teenager. And it's weird to think about it now because I'm so far removed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's only so much you can cover in in an hour episode, but you know, as, as I say to most of my guests, uh, I've greatly appreciate all the time that people give me and the conversations that I have. And everyone's always, you know, welcome back to, to do another episode and, and dive into things, uh, deeper or more specific. Um, I, I, I like ultimately having these kinds of conversations where people can relate to someone as someone who went from, you know, Minneapolis to LA to Japan, starting their own clothing line, teaching English, you know, kid who did drugs growing up and quickly realized that that wasn't necessarily the right path for him. And cause these are all re- relatable themes and like, maybe there's, yeah, for some- sure. Yeah. So it's like, there's so much that's relatable and, and obviously we could spend hours talking about drugs and, and, you know, people who fucked up and like tons of things like that. But, you know, that's like definitely a subject for another day. For me, it's like, I'm super interested in learning about how a 23 to 24 year old kid in Japan starting a clothing line, like, where do you see yourself five years from now? Like, what's like the next step? What's the next evolution? Shit, dude. Yeah. Like where, where, where's the, (laughs) that's a good question where do you go next um so earlier earlier how we how we kind of got into talking about all that stuff is you asked me you asked me a good question um about if i feel like pressure to have been farther i guess like been like from seeing that guy on tiktok if i feel pressure to like you know have more success in it than now and um and you know i have a brand but i'm like it's nothing crazy. Like I'm only making a couple sales mm-hmm. a month. Like it's, it's, it's chill. You know, it's just like my supply and demand is very, is still very low. I'm building up that customer base, but mm-hmm. like I'm making stuff and I'm getting it out into the world. So I'm happy about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the next, damn man, I don't know. In the next five years, I, uh, maybe I'll still be in Japan. I think so. Like mm-hmm. I, I like it here. Um, I want to keep teaching English, but I want to move off of this Island. So right now my contract is until August of next year okay. to still be working here on this Island. And, uh, I think I'm going to try to find my same job, like as an assistant language teacher somewhere else in Japan, like a bigger city or something. Um, and I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep hustling this clothing thing. Actually, like what I'm trying to get into right now is all of my stuff is one of ones and like people will want to buy it because they like the design, but it's like not their size. So I'm going to try to make more like reproducible things. I love the idea of doing a one-on-one. So I'll always have that to like have something that something unique that no one else has, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to start making stuff where it's like, if people want it, they can get it, you know? Sure. And uh, I think, I think from that, if I have success in that, then this brand will grow a lot. And I would, I would love to get to the point where it's my sole source of income is just making clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the dream, right? But we'll, we'll see, you know, is that, is that like, we'll your, see. Is, is that your biggest dream? Like just to have your brand 
be huge, be or big enough that's manageable, that's you know making you money. You're happy, you're content, you're making your stuff that you yeah. want to make. Is that is that like your biggest dream? Uh, I guess, man, it's hard. It's I guess I really have to rethink about what my dream is. Uh, well, because I, when I, I was younger, I would say I asked that because you're a very young guy and you yeah. have a very worldly perspective. And obviously that comes with traveling a lot and seeing a lot of, uh, you know, different places in the world. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's interesting to me as you know, I'm, I'm 35, we're, we're a decade apart and I'm still to this day evolving as a human and chasing things that I find passionate and uh, that I'm passionate about or that I want to do. Yeah. Um, so like I, I didn't have the, the level of drive or the, even the interest to chase hobbies or, uh, passions when mm-hmm. I was 25. So I, I, I find it, uh, refreshing and also curious, uh, like what the next evolution of your career slash life looks like. Yeah. Um, Dude, I really, I guess I really have to think about it. I've always dreamed of like, when when I think about my dream, um, I want to have a store. Like mm-hmm. I, I want to have a storefront and like, I have the logo, like the infamous logo. Mm-hmm. And like, when I think about my dream, I just picture that logo, like getting hoisted up to be put on the store. Mm-hmm. That's like having that big fucking logo get put on a building and that's mine. You know, that's, that's my main, that's my main dream, I guess. And like, I think something I've been thinking about recently is like, even if, if like, I don't know if it's going to become like a worldwide brand. I don't know if I'm going to like get to that point. I don't really care if I do, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, I just want to have like one shop where it's like maybe like a skate shop and then I sell other brands and then I sell my own stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe I give tattoos in the back, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I just want to have like, I just want to have like a space that is mine that I can make my livelihood off of. Um, I also love teaching. So I feel like teaching is going to be a part of my life. Like education is going to be a part of my life for forever. So I'll just see how things go, man. I don't, I don't know. It's hard to, it's, it's really hard to pinpoint one thing. The, the good news is you've got, quite a long road in front of you so <laughs> yeah these are not for sure these are these are grandiose themes and ideas of like what your life can or cannot or could or could not be and there's yeah. obviously no right answer at you know 12 p.m <laughs> on a saturday or sunday i don't even know what time it is there <laughs> yeah yeah it's like no it's like it's 1 a.m oh fuck I didn't realize it was... Yeah, that's what I am. Yeah, this whole thing is... <laughs> we, we botched this one, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No worries. Huh? Yeah. No worries. Um, um, yeah, I I think it's good to have a set goal, though. Um, I had a teacher who said something beautiful. She said, whatever like your goals, your dreams are, you'll make it there eventually. But by the time you'll make it there, you'll have a new set of goals. Mm-hmm. So like, you're always going to be walking up that ladder and it, it never ends. Even like, you know, people that we look up to like celebrities or whatever, they're not, they're usually not content with what they have for like their life. Like they're always pushing for something more. So when you ask me about if I felt that pressure, it's like, I do because there, there is a, a lot that I want out of life, but I know that like the journey is the most important part as corny as that sounds like it's true though, the actual process 
is is what makes life interesting. So I'm just like I don't want to fight the process. Mm-hmm. Got to trust the process. <laughs> yeah. I will say this: the the best thing that you have going for you as a person, you know, call me ten years in your future. Um, anything that you're unsure of now. The, the great thing about time is that you get greater clarity about everything in life as you get older, as you experience more For of sure. life and it, the For positives sure. and the negatives of it. You quickly understand your purpose, your place, your passions. And as a 23, 24-year-old kid to be so fully aware of the things that he wants out of his life, I, I can't imagine that you won't be successful in whatever it is that you want to do. Thanks, man. That that means a lot. Um, I think I think a big point for me was when I moved to LA. I feel like I had more grand grand. How do you say that word? Grandor, grandiose ideas. Grandiose. I had more grandiose ideas of my life. I wanted to like go out to LA and like make it in LA and like do whatever. But then I I feel like at that time it really it really humbled me, and I just had to think about like what are the things that I genuinely enjoy? Mm-hmm. Like, what are the things that really bring me happiness? And it's like, dude, just having, having time to talk to people is so important to me. Like mm-hmm. having, having time to have conversations like this and then just like skating. I don't, I don't expect to be a pro skater. I'm not that good. I'm scared of getting hurt. I don't do anything crazy with skateboarding, mm-hmm. but I love it. As long as I could keep skating, keep having conversations with people keep making art and keep enjoying art. Like having the time to like listen to new albums and watch movies and, and look at books for hours. Like as long as I have that in my life, I'm fine. That's success. You know, I don't really need the other things. I, I, I couldn't possibly agree with you more. And I'm immensely jealous of you being able to have that life perspective at such a young age, because it took me a very long time and a lot of years to feel the comfort and the no longer the desire to keep up with other things or other people or having Mm. more stuff than like now. Um, It took, you know, I've lived an incredibly blessed and lucky life. I've done whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, however I wanted with no question or qualms about, you know, the outcomes of the activities. And that worked for a really long time. But at the end of the day, I was left always wanting more. And, you know, you can, you can only work for so many people and do so many things and, you know, lose a job and, and, and whatnot before you start to question what's the point of all this? You know, why do, why do I need to make more money? Why can't I just be content with what I have or, or making a certain amount? And you've got these kind of really important perspectives at a very young age that ultimately will lead you to a very fulfilled life that, um, you know, I, I, I've only recently in the last five, six years have been able to like really, uh, you know, grab onto that. Yeah. But it's also like, like this, the shit that I'm saying is much easier said than done. It always like, is. I still, it always is. I, I say this stuff and I know that it's true in the back of my mind, but like, you know, I'm still, I'm still caught up in that. Like mm-hmm. I'm still looking at other people's lives and having FOMO. I'm still like looking at girls and being like, damn, she's out of my league. And like, I'm still like looking at fucking designer websites, just like scrolling and looking at how expensive shit is and being like, damn, wouldn't it be nice to afford that? Mm-hmm. Like, I do that shit all the time. So as, as I'm not perfect. No, no, nobody is. I'm very much a work in progress. Nobody is. And listen, at, 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 
at 35, even having the utmost like realization and, and actual, uh, insight into who I am, there's still a million things that I work on, on an, on a daily basis. There's still things I want to learn how to do. There's things I want to better about myself. And if you don't have that internal drive to, you know, it's easy to say, Hey, I want to be a famous photographer. I want to start a podcast or I want to start a clothing brand. And it's a lot harder to actually do the things that you put out to do. Um, so, I mean, there's no question that, you know, it's easier always said than done, but at the end of the day, you are still doing, you are still doing. Yeah. 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 You just got to do what you can today. You know, absolutely. Got to do what you can today. So my mom always tells me whenever I call my mom, she's like, you're in you. She always says this and it means so much coming from her. She says, don't worry about all those things that you're unsure about because you are exactly where you need to be right now. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's a very important perspective. I, uh, an uncle of mine has a, a similar, um, a similar notion. It is, Quit worrying about the wreckage of the future. You can stay up mm. all night mm. and worry all day about what may or may not transpire. Now, if that yeah. that event that's transpiring is a Chinese rocket falling on your house, sure, that's something that you may want to worry about. <laughs> yeah. But if it is yeah. whether something that you're doing 100%. is going to be commercially successful or you know a relationship that you're in is going to work out, it's like you can worry yourself to death. And I think yeah. we all get caught up in that. And at the end of the day, you got to not worry about the wreckage of the future and just live your life on a, sure. a day-by-day basis. For sure. For sure. So listen, Shane, I've, uh, man, to say I've greatly enjoyed our conversation would be uh, a tremendous understatement to how much, uh, this chat has, has been, uh, you know, beneficial for me and, and, uh, and I've thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I like to wrap up the end of every podcast with a couple questions. Um, and the, the first one that I have for you is what is the biggest piece of advice that you have for someone that is hearing you talk for the first time on this podcast? Oh, dude, you, I listened to your podcast and I knew that these questions were coming <laughs> and I knew I was going to draw a blank when they actually come. Uh, <laughs> I, the biggest, all right. The biggest piece of advice I have is everybody tells you that do what makes you happy. But I think that most people don't actually know what makes them happy. So I want you to think about what gives you satisfaction because that's different from happiness. Like, you can feel happy when you just got some new shoes or like you just had sex with a stranger, like, but that's short lived, like actual satisfaction from doing something that you knew, like you put your effort into. That's what you should be chasing. That's what you should live for or oh. like not live for, but live towards. I like that. You feel me? Absolutely. Um, what is your yeah. favorite book and your favorite movie? My favorite book is the alchemist by, I can't pronounce his name, right? Paulo, Paulo Coel. Coelho. The alchemist. Coelho, yeah. C O E H L O. It is, I think, my favorite book as well. Oh, really? Damn, yeah. that's awesome. It's a beautiful I, uh, book. I just, I was just hanging out with this girl, and I told her she's Japanese, and I bought it in Japanese, and I said that I want to give it to her because I asked her, I asked her the same question. I asked, uh, "What's the best?" I said, "What's the best advice you ever received?" And she said to read more books, and I thought that was a great answer. And I was like, "There's a book I want to give you." Uh, she said she was going to listen to this podcast. What's up, Mama? <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, 
Damn. Yeah. Oh, and my favorite movie. Sorry. My favorite movie. Dude, I love movies. I watch a lot of movies. Uh, I'm just going to say my favorite. This is not my favorite movie of all time, but my favorite movie recently that I've seen is called Climax by Gasper No. Okay. And it's really, really weird. Don't watch it if you're like, if you don't like fucked up movies because it's a fucked up movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm just gonna leave it at that <laughs> fair enough uh i've been I, I randomly watched when harry met sally like three times in the last two weeks um it didn't mm-hmm. used to I've be one of that. oh man you gotta watch it it's on hbo max so it's free um i didn't i didn't it was never really in my top 10 or my top five uh, i've always enjoyed it you know billy crystal's hilarious meg ryan it was just such a you know feel good movie but i've watched it like two or three times in the last week and i I, it's such like a weirdly appropriate movie for like like dating in modern times like it's hard it sucks and it's just very appropriate for the world that we live in now and uh it's slowly creeping back up my board for sure cool i'll check it out man yeah um okay so uh, the final question that i have is i like to end things with a recommendation for everyone that's hearing you uh could be a movie could be a podcast could be a book tv show food whatever you know etc um what's something that uh you've recently consumed that you would like to recommend to everybody uh dude i thought about this one so much and the one I'm going to go with is, do you know NPR Tiny Desk Concerts? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the no-name Tiny Desk Concert is what I recommend. Cool. i definitely check that out. I, I, I've, I've been lacking on the YouTube a lot lately, um, mm. but I've watched so many of those. That That's just such a cool yeah. series. I mean, I, I, obviously COVID fucked it up a lot for it. Um, yeah. And they did yeah. some like with people at home, and it just kind of didn't have the same feel. Um, but I'll, yeah. I'll definitely check that out for sure. Um, yeah. Mine is a bit melancholy for me because uh, of how much I appreciated this human being, but uh, Anthony Bourdain's final book, World Travel, uh, just came out, mm. I think, last week, and I haven't by any means finished the book. It's like four or 500 pages. Um, mm. But, you know, I struggle with him as like uh, an influence for me greatly because I-, I think ultimately like what my dream would be for my life moving forward would be traveling around the world, having these podcast episodes with like people around the world. And he did that sort of, but, you know, on a, on a TV perspective and traveling the world, eating good food. And he had just like this picturesque, perfect life. And I just, I loved him as a human being. And I, I struggled with the fact that, you know, he ultimately, you know, ended his own life. Um, but, uh, I was super excited that this book came out and I'm really excited to kind of dive through it and, uh, and enjoy it. So, yeah, I, I don't know enough about him but he seems like a really like well-spoken and articulate person and he has to have so much perspective from all the places that he's been yeah he uh he definitely didn't have the easiest life like he was a huge drug addict in his 20s and you know he struggled with success and you know uh, mental you know problems and you know being depressed and, and whatnot and um, I, I think the, the relatability of his life and just his ability to innately go into any situation in any country, in any culture and ingrain himself is something that like, I super, you know, strive to be able to, you know, uh, do similarly in my life. 
Um, and, and he's written a number of books, you know, he wrote a number of books and this one being the last one is, you know, a, li- a little bit melancholy, but I think it'll probably be one of my favorite books cause it's a little bit of each place that he went to and recommendations for places to eat and, you know, s- sites to see, etc. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to dive through that. But my man, Shane, uh, super glad that we've, uh, you know, come into each other's sphere of, of, uh, life and uh shout out to tyler james my man firsthand account for introducing yeah. us um, shout out to tyler. we should uh try to do a triple podcast one day with the three of us we can talk oh, about yeah, that'd be dope. talk about photography and life and uh yeah it'll be it'll be cool and and uh I, I i greatly appreciate the time being that it's so late uh on on your side of the world oh. Yeah, no worries, man. No and uh, I really, really enjoyed our conversation and uh, look forward to doing it again. Yeah, man. Uh, we got we to gotta talk about Japan more next time. We like, barely got to talk about Japan. Yeah, well, we'll you know, we'll, we got we to gotta up until like the point of like me coming here. We should talk more about Japan next time. Absolutely. I think so. Like the the we'll do one more uh, remotely and then the next one I'll uh, I'll, I'll travel out to Japan and we'll uh, we'll record. One oh, hell yeah. <laughs> shade thanks thanks so much for your time buddy um this was so much fun thanks for having me yeah i really enjoyed this thanks man anytime